This is One-on-One's NHL Podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. That's right, everyone. This is 5 on 3, Monday, December 4th edition. I am your host, Matt Cosentini. I'm joined in studio here by Jackson Heil and Nick Lehman. And we got Matt Murphy back today, back in the booth as our producer. Always good to have him. Um, a lot to get to this week. Another another big week in hockey, especially for these locals. Um, so the, probably the biggest news of the season we're going to get to a little bit later in the show, build up a little bit of suspense. So we're, we're going to go in a little bit of a weird order. Um, for as long as I can remember, the New York Islanders are leading in the show off. Who knew, right? Exactly. I mean, they just continue to play lights out lately, especially offensively, and they continue to be at the forefront of our show, unfortunately. Yeah, so uh, looking back at their past week, they had a good win against Vancouver, and then they lost a really wild game to, to Ottawa. It was a 6-5 loss where they were just going back and forth, scoring goals all game. So that was kind of a weird one. Um Looking at the team as a whole, we know we know about their top six. Phenomenal, point-producing machines, just without a doubt. So maybe the best top two lines in all of hockey so far. But outside of those lines, it doesn't really seem like this team has a lot of depth, and especially not a lot of depth scoring. I mean, those two top lines are basically contributing to everything that they've been doing so far this season. So... What do you what do you guys see as far as the depth goes and especially scoring wise from this team? We're gonna go to Jackson. I'm actually gonna disagree with you a little bit there. I think they definitely do have the depth. Maybe they haven't necessarily produced all that much yet, but I mean you look at their forwards. I mean you have Brock Nelson who can play on the third line, who will be playing there a lot. You have Hosang, you have Chimera, who all can score along with Bavillier, and then you have the fourth line of Sezikis when he's healthy and I believe Cal Clutterbuck as well, along with whoever you want to put alongside them. So that's a that's a line that isn't necessarily going to score you a ton of goals, but that's a line that can kind of eat defensive starts for you and give you a defensive shutdown line if they want it. So I'm not concerned about the Islanders' depth. I'm more concerned about them defensively. And in the goal I thought we saw on Friday, what could be their biggest downfall. I mean, they dominated that game against Ottawa, but Thomas Grice struggled mightily in net and just seemed like everything Ottawa shot at the net found its way in. So that's going to be the real problem for the Islanders, and that's something that would concern me going forward, not necessarily the forward depth. Uh, yeah, I, I think I have to agree. Their their forward their forward tandem is really strong right now, especially on those first, especially top line, but the first two lines are really strong right now. I think, you know, the continuous... Uh, Poor play by Grice, and we're back to this like back and forth of goalie battle again with the Islanders, which won't be sustainable. It in seems the like we're talking about the goalie situation every week with this team, right? And it, that'll continue in all likelihood until they find a solution. And looking into it, I mean, Halak got—I know he didn't start against Ottawa, but he started the games previous to that. So it looks like they've been kind of going with a kind of riding the hot hand. Some days it's Grice, some days it's Halak, 
And I, I, I'm of the belief that Halak has shown enough that he deserves to be getting the majority of time in net. And, I mean, you, you, Nick said it best. I mean, Grice just looked awful in that game against Ottawa. And who knows? Maybe it's finally time for Halak to get that starting nod day in and day out. For sure. I, I, I think he's been the guy that's been the better of the two goaltenders for sure. And the numbers show that. I mean, Halak's... Posting a 905 save percentage as opposed to Grice's 896, and Halak has faced his fair share of high danger chances as well. So that's the guy I've run with. He'd have he has the experience in the past. He's won some big games with other teams like St. Louis and Montreal. So that's the guy I'd go with. I think I've mentioned this plenty of times on the show. I think Grice has gotten this kind of high expectations just based off one playoff series for not really all that much reason. Even kind of just the run he went on last season when they yeah. were making when they were trying to get their way back into playoff contention. That, that yeah, and I I think that's something that the Islander fans have just they've come like to expect a little too much of him and they've been let down by that obviously, but Halak's the guy I'd go with and I'd give him a run of at least 5 to 10 games in a row just to see what he can do because obviously he is older but he does have the capability for sure. Yeah, I think after this week, especially, I mean, uh, Yaroslav Vlach stopped 31 of 32 in the first Ottawa game. And then against uh, Vancouver, he stopped uh, in a 23 of 25. So, I mean, Grice gave up five goals in the first um, just about two periods of play. I mean, that's that's not good enough for uh, any starting goaltender. And I think right now, this week, Halak has proven that I think he's the go-to guy for the rest of the season. So, I don't know if the Islanders are going to actually plan on him being the starting goalie, but it, because I it, the way it seems, they just keep flipping back and forth, trying to give Christ more opportunities. But I think this this week, Halak has proven that he can do it, and I think he should do it. So, Jackson, you were talking about the defensive issues with this Islanders team. Is it more from a scoring standpoint that outside of Nick Letty, they're basically getting zero point production out of their D-men, or is it the actual defensive aspect of the game that they're not doing well enough? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that is, you make a good point with the whole Nick Letty thing. I mean, he's got 21 points this year, but you look outside of that, and it's really not much. Johnny Boychuk hasn't been scoring as expected. He has just eight points on the year, and he has a shot that can really do some damage. So that's something you should at least expect more out of, but he just hasn't produced. Calvin DeHaan, I think, has been really good, but he hasn't been producing points-wise. And among others, Scott Mayfield, Ryan Pulak when he's been out there, Thomas Hickey, Seidenberg, you go on and on. But I think the main point part for them is they got to prevent... We've been mentioning the goalie issues. they got to prevent really big chances against a guy like Halak because if you're going to allow so many high-danger chances... Your, your goalie's not going to be able to do anything about that in general. So they was looking at a guy, Nicholas Jalmerson, who another Coyote rumor to be potentially getting moved at some point. Could be. I, the Island, if I'm the Islanders, I'd be very interested in a guy like him because he could fit right into your top four. He can give you 20 minutes a night and help out Nick Letty on that left side. And he's not going to be tremendously expensive like a guy like Ekman Larson. So that's a guy I'd be very interested in if I'm the Islanders. So looking forward for, uh, uh, for the Islanders' upcoming week, they have a really tough schedule coming up. All A uh, big road trip going to Florida, to Tampa Bay, to Pittsburgh, and to Boston. That's a really tough stretch of games, especially, and you wouldn't think Florida would be in that conversation, but as we're going to get to, 
they've been playing better lately. So, really tough four-game stretch that's really going to show us who this team is. And speaking of Florida, the New York Rangers recently dropped their first game at home in a long time to those same Florida Panthers. And they followed that up by a nice win against uh, Carolina. But in the wake of this past week, they lost Mika Zibanejad for what looks like is going to be an extended period of time with, I believe it's a concussion syndrome or something like that. And that's a tough one for this Rangers team that has already been dealing with center depth this entire season. And losing a a guy like Mika Zibanejad who plays first-line minutes, plays first-line power play minutes, is going to be really tough to, to replace. So... Nick, who do you see that needs to really step up and be the go-to guy that Zibanejad has been all season? Well, it's a sh- first off, it's a shame for the Rangers because he has been their best guy. I mean, 22 points on the year he leads the team. So it's definitely going to hurt them. Uh, I, I think someone that needs to uh, pick it up, um, I mean, you could pick multiple people, I think, but... I think I'd go with Kevin Hayes. I mean, still we. I think we Jackson. You mentioned him last week that he needed to pick it up. I we didn't see too much more out of him this week. Still a little eleven points. Yeah, and Hayes is a guy that I think has actually played tremendously well this year for them. He's been the two center that they've needed. He's been excellent in his own zone defensively, and that line of Rick Nash and Jimmy VC along with Hayes that they've put together has actually played really well. I call them like the almost line. They almost score <laughs> on pretty much every shift they're out there, but they just can't find a way to score goals, and they're going to need some more production out of that line. I mean, Rick Nash is starting to really get in a groove lately, and Jimmy VC, whenever he's playing with Rick Nash, always seems to be at his best. But a guy I look to is David Dayarnay, who's been the guy that they have put in Zibanejad's place with Kreider and Buchnevich, right. and he has played really well. I mean, he had three points in his when he was supposed to be a healthy scratch but was entered in the lineup against Florida and then he also had a goal on the power play against Carolina so that's a guy I'd look to step up listen you're not going to get Zibanejad type production but just be a guy that can help put Kreider in good positions and put Buchnevich in good places and then contribute defensively as well so that's a guy I'll look to to be a little bit step up in his role so I'm I'm actually looking at Michael Grabner I know he had a really good game um I, I don't remember if it was against Florida, he, but I know he, he had, had a hat trick in there He somewhere. had a hat trick with two yeah. empty net goals against Carolina. Uh, hey, right, Carolina. Hey, goal, goals count, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how you get them as long as you get them. Listen, he's got seven empty net goals this year. Which hey. Is pretty, I mean, listen, <laughs> seven out of 13 that. ain't bad. Yeah, I mean, people complain that, like, they're empty netters, but, like, they put the game away. Like, he puts the game away every time for the Rangers. So, listen, I'm not complaining. So, and as far as the Rangers' upcoming schedule go, at – at Pittsburgh, at Capitals, and then home for a big game against the Devils. That's not an easy week either. I mean, two, three of the teams that are currently in playoff spots in this Metro division and in just in the Eastern Conference in general for wildcard spots, they're going to need... This is all... I mean, I feel like we're talking about every team having a show-me week lately, but that's how it is in the Metro this year. If you're not on your game every single day, day in and day out you're going to get passed, and you're probably not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I think a big concern for the Rangers is the goaltending, not because Henrik Lundqvist hasn't been great. Pavlik's really because bad. Because he ha- Henrik's been great, but Pavlik has made played him like one game in the last 14 games, I think it is. Lundqvist has made 14 straight starts, and Pavlik's only entry was when Lundqvist allowed three goals on six shots against Florida. So 
that's something. If, if Hendrick gets burned out this week, I mean, that could be a real issue for the Rangers because you mentioned Pavlik. When he's been in there, he hasn't really done all that much, and he hasn't been very impressive at all for the Rangers. You don't, you don't have to be nice about it. You can say <laughs> he's been flat-out bad. Yeah, and that's that's kind of forced Vino's hand to play Lundqvist in all these games, but now you play a Pittsburgh team on the road who's been playing much better of late. Washington in Washington is still a dangerous game, and as we mentioned, the Devils, who are always have been tough this year. So it's a very tough week for them, and you look at the following week, they have four games in six nights against Dallas, Ottawa, L.A., and Boston. So you're going to have to find a way to get Pavlik in probably two or three games this week with Hank on like the back end of being burned out. So that's going to be something for me to watch. I mean, certainly, uh, the game against Pittsburgh, I know they have their own goaltending issues right now, but I think that's one definitely the Rangers can win to uh, continue the momentum from the Carolina game. And then uh, the weekend swing with the Capitals and the Devils. Um, I, I think, uh, as Jackson mentioned, Capitals game is always, in Washington is always a tough place to play, Capital One Center. But... Uh, the Devils, I think that's when the Rangers really need to they need to take advantage of that game. The Devils, as we're going to discuss in a few minutes, had a, quite frankly, terrible week uh, playing. Yeah, wise. I mean, we might as well get into it right now. Yeah. I mean, these Devils, we were talking about it last week. This, this past week was the week that they really needed to capitalize on their easy schedule, and it just didn't happen. Bad loss at home to Florida, and a just god-awful loss to Arizona in Arizona, a 5 nothing shutout loss to their backup goal, uh, who I guess isn't even their backup goaltender because he's starting for them now, Scott Wedgwood, who was a former Devils AHL, AHL goaltender who we were never going to do anything with, so they kind of just had to ship him out, and he went out and put out a shutout against them. I mean, they did have an all-right win against Colorado in Colorado, sandwiched in between those games, but let's not focus on the negative here. Because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the biggest news out of this NHL season so far, and probably the biggest trade that's happened in the NHL so far this season, the New Jersey Devils acquired defensive defensive man Sammy Vatanen from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for Joseph Blandesi and Adam Henrique. That one's tough. It's... We'll get into the trade a little bit, but just from a fan's perspective, it's never easy when you trade away a fan favorite like Adam Henrique was. I mean, from everything he did off the ice with his charity, and especially this past month with all he does for November and the charity that he does with that work, it's not it's not easy, especially when you look at what he does on ice. And we were talking about it just last week with some of our favorite memories in hockey, and I was talking about the Game 6 overtime winner against the Rangers and how that moment is just seared into Devils fans' memories. He's always going to be a part of this team, and let's be real. We had talked about it. He wasn't really getting the playing time anymore because of how much forward depth this team has occurred over the past season, season and a half. And he was on the fourth line, he was on the third line, he wasn't really getting any special teams time. Especially with Marcus Johansson coming back, there just wasn't really room for him anymore. So they did the right thing for both the team and for him by sending him out somewhere to a team that's going to use him and bringing in a guy that is what they really were looking for this season. I know we were talking about defensive pairings not getting enough time or points last week, and Sammy Vatanen is really a guy that can 
quarterback a power play and just move the puck. What do you think? I think uh, the trade itself goes back to when I know the Devils wanted at one point to sign Kevin Shattenkirk. And when that didn't happen, I think that's when they decided to turn to Sammy Votnin. And Ray Shiro kind of knew in the back of his head that he could eventually trade him, and for him rather. And I, I think moving Henrique, as much as it hurts uh, like the organization, kind of reminds me of like the P.K. Subban, uh, Shea Weber trade in terms of, not the trade itself, in terms of how... PK was con- so connected to Montreal. That's and, fair. And that uh, Henrik is c- pretty much really connected to New Jersey. I'm not comparing that trade by any means. No, I, I understand. Uh, I understand that. I'm just going to completely disagree here because I feel like the thing with the Subban trade is that PK with Subban and the front office, it just seemed like there was so much turmoil there between Subban and what the— Canadians want. I mean, they said countless times that they were never going to trade him, and then they end up trading him for Weber, obviously. But the thing with Henrique is, I don't think this guy was really ever in trade rumors necessarily, or people thought that he was going to get traded. But I think the thing that makes it easier to move on from a fan favorite like that is to know that your team did the right thing, and that's exactly what the Devils did. I mean. My only criticism for Ray Shiro is is that he didn't take more advantage of the Ducks because when you look at a team like the Ducks who have been to countless Western Conference Finals over the last few years and come out of the gate struggling like this, they're very vulnerable in trades. And I think that the Ducks may have been able to maybe hit the panic button more, so to speak, and they could have gotten more. But again, I still like this move for the Devils. Like you mentioned, Votnin can really handle the power play. He moves the puck really well, and he can provide some assistance, so to speak, for Will Butcher and help him through his development. So I really like this move for the Devils. And kind of an immediate fan reaction was they they, looked, they immediately went and looked at Votnin's point totals from this season, and they saw that he only had three points in however many games he played. That to kind of quell those fears, he was hurt for a majority of the beginning of the season. He was recovering from off-season shoulder surgery, so he wasn't 100%. And you could kind of see that he wasn't really playing as well as he should, especially because of how crowded on defense the Ducks really were. I mean, you have guys like Cam Fowler, Montour, Man- uh, Mason or Manson. Manson, uh, Manson, yeah, Manson, Josh Manson. Josh Manson. And they have Shea Theodore either already playing or coming up. So... Vatanen was kind of the odd man out. I would have liked to have seen... I mean, we don't know what they were talking about before they finally settled on this deal, but I, I in particular, would have liked to see him maybe make a move for Cam Fowler, who I think is more superior on the offensive end. I feel like he's like he's a better player than Vatanen, but by no means am I mad at this trade. I mean, it, it addresses an immediate need for the team, and it honestly makes them better which is what they're really going to need for this upcoming week because we talked about it last week. They needed to win those games this last week so they could afford a maybe a loss this week with a home-and-home home against Columbus and then that game with the Rangers. It's a real tough week. Yeah, and I'm just going to go back to the Camp Fowler thing for a moment. I just don't think that Anaheim would have parted with Oh, Fowler. I don't think so I mean, either. They just signed him to a massive extension, I believe was of eight years, but especially after they lost Theodore in the expansion draft, and now they have Hampus Lindholm as well, who's been playing sensational since he signed his contract last year. They need to move on from one of these guys, and it, it's it been clear kind of since last year that Votnin was going to be that guy. 
And to be fair, I think the Ducks did do pretty well in this trade. Henrik's a yeah. really good player, and they need help in their middle six sort of. He's say. really he's really good on the penalty kill, and Joe Blandesi was a guy that wasn't ever going to get enough time on the Devils, and he's he's kind of a guy that can be that penalty killer too. So hopefully they both get some time. Yeah, I and I think it's a I think it's just a fair trade for both sides, but I really like it more on the Devils side, yeah. especially with their need for a defenseman. I think both teams won. I mean. Devils had an overabundance of forwards. Ducks had an overabundance of defensemen. They just swap Henrique and Vatnin, and I think both teams get a very valuable piece out of each other. Wait, when, when is where's Henrique's contract at? I, I think he's a free agent this sure. upcoming season. Is he? And wow. Vatnin's yeah. through the next two and a half. And years. there was this really weird trade condition where the Devils are going to get a third round pick out of the Ducks if they sign Henrique to a new contract before. This one's up, and before they use the pick in this year's draft, it's a really weird condition. And then it could either be like 2019 yeah, or 2020. something like that. Also, another kick in this trade, I think Vatnin had a no-move clause coming in like the next few months. So it was kind of similar to the oh, Derek Stepan okay. situation where you move him now or you don't move him until yeah. the end of the contract without his consent. So that was something that it looked like a deadline that they had to meet. Also, I... Henrique has one more year okay. after this. Okay. So that makes it a little better for the Ducks because if you're taking just a rental out of Henrique, that changes a lot. Yeah. But yes. So like we mentioned, this upcoming week's going to be really tough for the Devils, and they're going to need to win at least one of these games if they want to still be in contention for a divisional spot in the Metro. But now we're going to get into some other topics here, and this one's kind of a fun one. You look at the 2015 draft and the 2016 draft where the top two picks in each have been generational talents. They've been described as these can't-miss prospects and guys that are going to usher in the new era of hockey. In 2015, you had Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel, and then in 2016, you had Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine. So my question to the both of you is... Which one of these guys is going to get that cup before the other? Well, I, I think we can all cross Eichel's name off the list. Oh, yeah. Because yes. you just look at, yes. the, you look at the turmoil in Buffalo right now, and I won't get too into it, but it is ugly. And it's pretty, bad. Pretty much everyone is available mm-hmm. that reports have come out. So I think Eichel's pretty much off the list. But I'm going to go with Lina here because you look at the young core that, not necessarily too young, but... The Jets have a core that they can build off of in Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers. Blake Wheeler is one of the most underrated players in all of hockey. Dustin Bufflin's a good player. Tyler Myers as well. They have some guys that can really do damage there, and they have one of the best offenses in the league. They, The Jets have really broken out this year, and I think they're here to stay. It's just they do need to add some pieces. Similar to the Islanders, they have a goaltending issue. That needs to be addressed, and I don't necessarily think this is the year for the Jets. I mean, there are teams in. I don't think Hellbuck is is that big of a problem. No, he's definitely coming into his own lately. He he's gonna he's gonna need some more development, obviously, but that could be that's something that I just don't think Hellbuck is enough for a Stanley Cup champion yet. But that's my team because I I'm not gonna mention Matthews too much, but I just don't think Toronto is set. Because I think they have this window in the next two years before they have to pay guys like Matthews, Marner, and Nylander that they're going to have to win a cup soon because the cap space isn't going to be there necessarily in these next few years. And I think there are better teams in the Eastern Conference than Toronto Toronto right now. Uh, I think I've got to go with Connor McDavid and Edmonton 
just because I think last year's playoff run was crucial to their team in overall uh, with, you know, getting those younger players on that team playoff experience. I think that's crucial. The Leafs got a bit of it, but uh, I think the Oilers, uh, that, w- that was a big step for them because they hadn't made the playoffs in so many years. So, and I think Connor McDavid is a strong enough captain already that and leader that he can uh, bring the Oilers back to where they were in in you know way back. Are you not worried by the way that the team overall has looked this year? I am worried, but that that I don't think they're going to be making the playoffs this year, just because of how bad they've looked at the start, and that's why I'm hesitant to say the Oilers. But it, it just seems that they're set up. To for success, yeah, but they're I, not. They're but they're not like going out and being successful. I, we this season has been baffling. I think for many of us, I agree. I think they have probably the best roster composition of those four teams that we've mentioned. But I think until they get rid of Chirelli in the front office, I don't think they can do anything because I mean, you look at the trades this guy's made. I mean, just look at last summer. Aberly for Strom was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Taylor Hall for Adam Larson has. They'll claim it's not a disaster, but that was a horrible trade for Edmonton. I mean, they've just made Definitely. plenty of mistakes, and I think Chiarelli's finally realized with the Nugent Hopkins thing that he has to he has to he has to make a move that makes better sense. But I'm not sold on Edmonton until until he's gone. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna have to agree with Jackson here. I am gonna pick the Jets basically for the same reasons. They have that core of players that are just gonna continue to get better. Um, we talked about Eichel, but the Bill, not the Bills, excuse me, the Sabers. <laughs> same, can kind of say the same thing about the Bills, though. The Sabers aren't That's really, the Sabers true. really aren't going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, I think Toronto has an outside chance. I mean, they have the guys in place that could get it done, but I don't really think they're there yet. And I know I picked the Oilers to win the Stanley Cup this year, as a lot of people did, but. I'm the same way. I'm really worried about them this year. So I'm going to go with the Jets and Patrick Lina winning that first Stanley Cup out of the four of them. So, and real quick here before we before we end today, let's talk about some teams that are on the rise and kind of on the fall for this week. Um, Nick, we'll start with you here. Uh, as much as, as bad as the Devils look this week, I'm not going to jump ship on them just yet. I think I'm going to say the, the team going down is uh, Philly just because of the nine straight losses that they had earlier. Uh, sorry, Matt Murphy. Yeah, Matt Murphy's not real happy not, about that he's one. He's not too happy about that one, but it it's pretty bad there. Um, they they did uh, – now they're on a two-game losing streak after finally winning one. But uh, still, that means, you know, 11 losses out of their last 12. That's pretty terrible. Interesting to see where Nolan Patrick ends up because I think the AHL is the best place for him right yeah, now. Yeah, he should be in the AHL. Been, he's been yeah. really bad he's been pretty this bad. far. But – my team that's been fading is Chicago because they have just they haven't. It's it just seems like finally the year where the the bridge is going to come falling down for them. They just seem to always find a way to make the playoffs, but they have been so over reliant on Corey Crawford, who's been spectacular this year, and is now on that, the now on the now, IR list. If you look at these next two weeks and they collapse, if they do collapse without Crawford, I think. But there's going to be big problems for Chicago because they've already been in a downward spiral and it could just keep spiraling even worse. Yeah, and I'm going with the um, the Ottawa Senators. They are just real bad right now. They look really lost out on the ice. Two seven and one in the last ten. Um, Matt Duchesne trade total bust right now. Really looking awful for them. I mean, only two points, 
minus nine in 11 games, and he just does not look like a fit at all. And real quick, who are, who are some teams that you see coming on the rise, on the come up right now? I mean, I'm going to go with Montreal. I think you get Carey Price back, and you're automatically 10 times better than you are, and that's been the case with Montreal. They're getting much more scoring as late. They put up 10 goals against Detroit the that other day. They've awesome. <laughs> They finally seem to just be getting in their stride again, especially with Max Pacioretty, who they've needed really to come on of late. That's a team to look out for in the Atlantic. Uh, I'm going to go towards West, the wild card, Dallas. They've won five straight. Uh, They're looking really good right now. They're only two points out from the uh, third spot in the Central, chasing the the, um, Predators. So uh, they've had a really good week. I mean, the last game they beat Colorado 7-2. I mean, that's a pretty big statement that's there. A, that's a good game right there. And, you know, what? again, Jackson just seems to be reading my mind today. I <laughs> I also picked the Canadians with Carey Price returning from the injury. Great mind, single leg. Yeah, I mean, probably, right? <laughs> and he looked like the guy everyone expected him to in the preseason. I mean, he and then he went on the IR list, and you you wonder if he was playing hurt the entire season with the just terrible numbers he was putting up and coming back, immediately putting up a shutout in his first game being active again, and I think giving up like four goals in the last six games. So the Canadians are a scary team with Carey Price healthy, and I think that they're just going to continue on to better and better things as the season goes forward. Yeah, just I think they have a playoff spot. Just I think the problem with is just Tampa Bay and Toronto are too yeah, good. They'll I mean, probably be a three seed in the Atlantic. Yeah, the Eastern Conference is really strong this year, and it just makes for a great season of hockey going forward. But that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and come back next week. Thank you very much.